Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what the Bible has to say so that we can know what we believe. The Bible tells us that we should be ready to give an answer for the things that we believe. And the last thing that we want to do is just try to defend what we've heard or what we think we believe without being able to do it. We want to know what the Bible has to say. We want to search it. We want to study it. I think that a lot of people argue and are rude when it comes to different topics because they're not confident in what they believe because they haven't taken time to really search the scriptures to see whether or not these things are so. And I appreciate you guys who are willing to search the scriptures uh, like the Bereans, right? They were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians because they sought, because they received the word of God with all joy, but they sought the scriptures to see whether or not these things are true. The Bible says that it, it can make us complete, thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. So we have our first question already up today, and it's from Reuben, and it's one that he left a while back, and he asked, what verses describe the first half of the tribulation period? Thank you, Reuben. I appreciate that. Uh, if you want to do a study on the tribulation, and you want to study every passage in the Bible that says something about the tribulation period, then you're going to have to go to the book of Daniel, the book of Joel, the book of Zechariah, the book of Isaiah, Jeremiah. Uh, you're going to, of course, have to do Daniel and Revelation. But that's the place to start. The place to start is in the book of Revelation. And uh, that would be in, let me go ahead and get um, Revelation chapter, I think it's chapter 6 up here is where I want to start at today because I that would be the beginning of the tribulation period in the book of Revelation. And uh, again, that's Revelation chapter 6. I think it's, um, yeah, Revelation chapter 6, right at the very beginning there. Um, yeah. So let me go ahead and get this up for you, uh, get this on the screen for you. We'll be able to take a look at this passage. So here it says, and I saw, let me go ahead and get this uh, straightened out here. Okay. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, a noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given upon his head, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now that's the Antichrist. And he is the sign for the beginning of the tribulation period. In 2 Thessalonians, when the, uh, when the Thessalonians thought they were in the tribulation period, Paul tells them that there must be a departure first, the falling away must happen first, and the man of sin being revealed. The man of sin isn't revealed after the tribulation period, uh, before the tribulation period starts. He's revealed when it starts. So that's the very beginning. And you would be able to tell the first half of this as you go on until you get to the abomination of desolation or the attack upon Israel in the book of Revelation. And... Um, there are just too many passages for us to go into Joel and Zechariah and Jeremiah. But what, one thing that you will notice as you take time to start looking at every verse of the Bible that covers, that talks about the tribulation period is that Israel is talked about a lot. And, and no wonder, Jeremiah 30 verse 7 says that the day of the Lord is a day of distress and it is a day of Jacob's trouble. God's dealing with the nation of Israel. He's bringing them back. God's judging the world, but with the nation of Israel, he is bringing them back. So uh, that's where you can start to get the beginning, Reuben, of the 
of the tribulation period, uh, you can start there. Now, I want to welcome you guys that are uh, joining us on our Truth Quest podcast. If you're listening to this where you find podcasts, we want to welcome you. We hope that you are blessed by the time we answer these questions, as I said, with a desire to know what the Word of God has to say. Um, so we can know what we believe. If you have a question you'd like to submit it, I want to welcome those of you who are watching on YouTube and on Facebook. Just take time to put a question in front of your question, write out your question, and then reread it. Sometimes I pull them up on the screen and I've got to make some guesses as far as um, what is being said. So just make sure it makes sense. If you want to add in any scriptures, we can take time to look some of them up. We can't look up a bunch of them, but we can look some of them up. It's good to see you guys, and I thought today um, as well, uh, good to see you guys. A lot of you guys still haven't been back to church and still, you know, people are still staying away because of COVID. Um, I hope you're doing well. If you have prayer requests today, because we have a whole group of people here that meet together every Wednesday and every Saturday, we would love to pray for one another. If you have prayer requests, just go ahead and write your prayer request in the comment section as well, and we will pray for you. All right, but um, go ahead and submit your questions. We'll take the next hour to answer the questions uh, that are given. All right, so we're going to start with a question from JG. JG, it's good to see you. JG says, when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in Matthew 5, 44, what specifically should we pray for them? Thanks, Pastor Robert. Uh, thank you, JG. I appreciate it. Uh, I would think when you're praying for someone who persecutes you, you would pray that God would give them lockjaw and nausea at the same time. Of course, I'm kidding. Uh, David prayed that his enemies would have the teeth knocked out of their face, uh, their teeth knocked out of them. Um, these are, um, I'm trying to think of the word of the Psalms. Uh, they're Psalms that pray evil upon certain people. And these would not be anything that we would pray for. We want to pray that they would be blessed. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. So when someone curses you, you ask God to bless them. Lord, would you bless them in their life? Or you could simply say the Lord bless you, which is speaking a blessing over someone. You could pray that they would come to know the Lord. You would pray that God would do good things within their lives. Remember, God's the one who's going to get them back for what they're doing. If they're doing anything that's really bad for you, God's the one who takes vengeance. Um, so we want to pray that they would come to Christ, that um, that they would be blessed, that their lives would be blessed. You are as a as a believer, as a Christian, everything is flipped upside down. He who is first is last, and the last is first. Well, we want to pray for those who persecute us instead of cursing those who persecute us. It's completely different for the kingdom of God. And when we understand this, when we begin to walk this way. Uh, it's hard for us to be engulfed in the things of this world if we really are loving everyone that's around us and putting other people's interest above our own interest and not looking out only for our own interest. This is the way that God tells us to live. And so I think we would pray for them, uh, pray that they'd be saved, pray that they'd be blessed. Who knows? God answers when we pray. And, I, and, and especially when Jesus told us to pray. And it's such a radical different thing that we each of us could think of someone who treats us poorly. Think of that family member that treats us poorly or an in-law that treats you poorly and pray for them. Begin to pray that God would bless them and God would move on their lives. And who knows what kind of things God would end up doing for them. All right, so thank you very much, JG. I appreciate uh, your question. We have another question here from Matt. 
Good to see you, Matt. Matt comes to us from Facebook. Uh, Matt says, in John 3, 5, Jesus mentions, you have to be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. A friend of mine was using this verse as evidence that you need to be baptized to be saved. I recognize baptism is important, but not as a means of salvation. Thoughts? Um, yes, that's good insight there, Matt. We are saved by grace through faith. And the churches that teach baptismal regeneration, the Church of Christ is the big one that teaches it. There are some other churches that teach it as well. Some of them believe it's not just being baptized, but you've got to be baptized by them. Or you've got to, they believe in a progression of baptism. That you have to be baptized by someone who is baptized by someone who is baptized by someone who is baptized by one of the apostles. Otherwise, you can't be saved. Of course, the thief on the cross is the great argument against this. And they are going to say, if you have a chance, then you should be baptized, but God might let you in without uh, any baptism. So the Bible says, believe and be baptized and you will be saved. The Bible says, believe and you will be saved. But the Bible never says, be baptized and you will be saved. So they take that passage where it says, believe and be baptized and you will be saved. And they say, see, you have to be baptized. But when you believe, you are to be baptized. It's what we're to do. That's great commission work. Baptizing in the name of the, making disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are all kinds of other groups that come up with their different ideas about what uh, constitutes salvation. Um, some of them believe you've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus only. Some believing that you've got to uh, speak in tongues. They add all kinds of things and we reject all of them thoroughly. It is only by believing that you come to Christ. And like you said here, baptism is important. And I would say to everyone who's listening, you need to be baptized. It's that public stance and God wants that milestone in our lives when we go under the water and come out new. And we have to give that complete and total commitment to God. And Jesus told us to be baptized, so we want to be baptized. But it is, it is, a, it is a sign of what salvation is. You go under the water as a burial of the old you and you come out of the water living in the newness of life that God has given you. And so it is that perfect picture of what salvation is and speaks to us about living in that newness of life that Jesus has given us by the power of the Spirit that brought Jesus from, uh, from the dead. Now you've come up out of that water and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You, I'm not saying that baptism fills you with the Spirit. I'm just saying you are filled with the Spirit and you go out and begin to do the work that God's called you to do because the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same Spirit that is at work within you. All right, so thank you very much. This is, yeah, there are a lot of churches that believe it. Some churches, praise the Lord, that have believed it in the past no longer believe it and that's good and no longer emphasize it even though some in the church may believe it and that's really good. Um, some groups are starting to move away from it. I don't think that's the Church of Christ, by the way. Um, the danger in believing that baptism saves you is the same danger in Catholicism that believes the sacraments can save you, which one of those is baptism. And, and the danger is that you think you're okay when you're not. I knew a gentleman who was older who had been baptized in the Church of Christ and he believed that because he was baptized, he was saved. And he argued with me a lot about that until finally we had a conversation about Jesus. And I talked about Jesus being God. And he said, Jesus isn't God. And I said, yeah, he is. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me 
that he didn't really know the Bible and he didn't know who Jesus was and that he wasn't really a Christian. He was baptized thinking that the baptism saved him and he knew his scriptures about baptism and could argue that, but he couldn't argue anything else. And so I began to pray for him and I began to minister to him like he was because he was unsaved. So as someone who was unsaved and I didn't argue with him anymore. I just decided that's it's not good for me to argue with him about baptism when what he really has to do is be born again. And the, cra and the, the crazy thing is, is that John chapter three, the verse that he uses, the baptism of water and the spirit, is the very verse that talks about us being born again to be saved. You have to be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He goes on to say in that very passage, so we know that the water isn't baptism. The water is the birth of the flesh, the breaking of the amniotic fluid, because he goes on to say that, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So your spirit has to come to life before you can have a relationship with God. In John chapter four, the chapter after this, Jesus says to the woman at the well, the day is coming and now is when those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if your spirit is not quickened to life, then you cannot, you can't really worship him. So if you've never been born again, then call out upon him right now. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to fill you with the spirit. Ask him to that, that give him your life, begin to surrender to him, tell him that you live, whatever it is that he wants you to do and let him transform you and cause your spirit to come to life um, and then be baptized, all right? Baptism is not salvation. You commit your life to Christ. John 1.12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. It's also interesting to me that those that teach baptismal regeneration will often teach against receiving Jesus in order to be saved. But that's extremely biblical. That's John 1.12. As many as receive him, he gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. So believe him, receive him, and be saved. And no, don't trust in um, don't trust in baptism to save you. It's a completely different thing, but you need it as a milestone in your life. Thank you, uh, Matt. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. If you're uh, watching for the very first time, I'm really glad you're here. I hope you guys are blessed by the time that you spend here today looking at questions through the lens of Scripture. If you have a question, then write the word question down, and then write your question on. We take all kinds of questions, questions about prophecy, questions about um, uh, about uh, the Bible, uh, questions about Christian living, questions about apologetics, which is what I was trying to think of that I couldn't think of. So we take all, all kinds of questions and we look for difficult ones as well. If you have a hard question, something really you're really struggling with, I'm not saying that I have the answers to all of them, but I am saying we'll look at it together. And if I can't figure it out, I'll take time to go back and look it up and uh, come back in a little bit later on. All right. So we have a question here from Shelly. Shelly, it's good to see you. Uh, Shelly says, are the seven angels mentioned in Revelation 120? And then she gives the angels names. Um, if so, aren't, why aren't they named in the King James Bible? Um, so I don't think that these are the angels. I don't know where you get I, I, boy, these, I, I can't quite place where you get them from, Shelley, these names. Um, it may be that some churches have given certain angels names and that these are some of them. Uh, there's only two angels that we know in the Bible that are named. There might be some, some named in the Apocrypha, but we have Gabriel and we have Michael. 
And those are the only two in the Bible that we have. Not even Lucifer because Lucifer isn't his name. Lucifer is Latin for morning star. And in Isaiah, God was mocking Lucifer when he said, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, because Jesus is the bright and morning star and Lucifer wanted to be the bright and morning star. And so he's mocking him. So the only two that we know are those two. We don't have the names of those seven angels that are the angels over the churches, which is great that, hey, in the Old Testament, we have angels over nations and Michael was one of those angels. In the New Testament, we have angels over churches so that there are angels working within our churches. Isn't that extremely powerful? And what a great thing for us to know. The angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to us and they're ministering uh, for us. And, and, and the letters were written, written to the messengers of these churches. Some believe that the messengers there in Revelations 2 and 3 are, are the pastors of the churches. Uh, I believe they are the angels. They're the actual messengers or the angels that minister to the church. And you find that passage, by the way, in Hebrews chapter one at the very end that says, are they not all ministering spirits sent to minister to those of us that have life? So it's very powerful. All right, so maybe, um, Shelly, you can tell me where you got these names from. Uh, again, I think there are some churches that put out names and I think the Apocrypha do have some names in there. The Apocrypha are some Old Testament passages that some Old Testament books that certain churches like the Greek Orthodox and the Catholic Church have in their Bible that don't stand up to um, what, what the rest of canon does. They weren't accepted by the Jewish, um, by the, the Jew, the Jewish religion, and they aren't accepted by us today. Uh, we call them the Apocrypha, and we talked about that a little bit last week. All right, so thank you, Shelley. I appreciate your question. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So we have another question here from Keeping It Real. Um, all right, so, ah, keeping it real. Uh, amen, keep it real. One of the first things that God told me as a pastor, we started Calvary uh, Tucson in 1985, and I was seeking God for what he wanted from me as a pastor and the kind of pastor that I was gonna be. And I just felt like the only thing that God told me was to be real. Just be myself and be real that I didn't have to pretend I was someone else. And so I've endeavored for 36 years to keep it real, keeping it real. So that's a good thing, right? Uh, so keeping it real says it was brought to my attention that the male child in Revelation, um, Revelation 12.5 could represent the church. This really seems to make perfect sense. Do you have an opinion on this? I do. And let's go there. Let's take a look at this um, because I don't think it represents the church. And I'll tell you why. All right. So let's go to um, Revelation 12. In fact, let me do it this way. Uh, um, Revelation uh, 12, and what is it, verse five? Is that right? Yeah, we'll just start in verse one. And uh, let me go ahead and bring you into the scriptures here. So in Revelation 12, it says, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and upon her head was a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child, travailing in birth and pain, being delivered. So you remember that when Joseph had a dream of Jacob, his mother, and his father, they were the moon and the stars. And just like there are 12 disciples, which is why someone would say that this represents the church, there are the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And these 12 tribes of Israel, of course, represent the nation of Israel. The, the baby that's going to be born comes from Israel. It doesn't come out of the church. It's not the birth of the church and then the dragon making war against them. It's, it's Israel. And it says there are, oh, well, let me get, see if I can get this back again. Ah, sorry about that. Um, I've got, I knew I was going to do that. All right. All right, let me go down here. Now, so let's read this a little bit further. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten hordes and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and did not cast and, and did cast them to earth. That would be the fall of the angels. And the dragon stood before the woman and was ready to devour, and ready, um, which was ready to devour, for to uh, devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. So that becomes really clear to us that that is talking about Jesus. It's a male child who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. It's not the church. We're not going to rule the nations. We rule with Christ, but he's the one who does it. So the text makes it clear that this is not the church, but instead is the nation of Israel. All right, so I'd be happy to give you a follow-up look at that. But again, we find Israel in the middle of the tribulation period, Jeremiah 37. Uh, the tribulation period is a time of Jacob's trouble, and that should not surprise us that we find, um, that, we find that there. All right, so thank you very much. Um, keeping it real, I appreciate that. I think that as you go back and you read that, you're going to see that there's no way that this can be the church. It's got to be... Um, and, and whoever shared this with you is looking for the church in the tribulation period. When we've been promised, well, we've been asked to pray to escape all these things that are going to come upon the earth and stand before the Son of Man. Um, the faithful church was promised that it was going to be kept from the hour of testing that would come upon those that dwell on the earth. God's not mad at us. We are not dwelling on the earth. And so we are not in the middle of the tribulation period. And I think that's why people want this to be the church and try to make it the church because they're trying to find the church in the tribulation period and you just can't find it. No matter how hard you look, you cannot find the church in the tribulation period. All right. So thank you very much. Uh, uh, keeping it real. I appreciate that. And uh, if this is your first time here, uh, we may have gotten a question from you before, but it's your first time here. We want to welcome you. We're going to take uh, time now to look at another question. We have a question here from Andy and Tanya. Andy and Tanya, good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Uh, is the mark of the beast an actual mark or does the word mark have a different meaning? Uh, so I don't know that I've ever looked up um, what the mark of the beast stands for, what that particular word stands for. Mark of the beast. Where, where are we at? We in, um, are we in Revelation? Uh, is it in Revelation 12? Where is that at? Where is the mark of the beast at? Um, I wish I could find it. Um, all right. So I don't know what passage, what passage that is. Oh, let me just take a quick look here at the Bible and see if I can figure this out really quick. Um, not taking a whole bunch of time to, to look it up if I can't find it quickly, but I think it, it might be, um, let's see the beast from the sea. Um, yeah, I can't find it really quick. So I'm not sure what the word is. If I if I had the passage, I'd be able to look up the word. So 
um, because we don't, I don't have the passage, I'm not able to look it up. If you want to go ahead and throw that in to the comments or someone can put it in, I can return to it and come back and look at it. Um, as far as the context goes, it looks like it's a mark. So the reason that someone would be asking is because people talk about having, you know, transistors or certain chips put under our skin in our forehead or on the back of our hand that we'd be able to buy and sell. There are now palm readers that can, that, that can cause you to buy and sell. Um, that are coming on the market right now. Um, and so people have thought, is this a tattoo? Is this a mark? What does that word mean? And I don't remember what this word exactly means. I know I've looked it up before, uh, but if you can put it in the description below, we'll be able to look it up, all right? So sorry not to be able to give you more information on that, Andy and Tanya. If you guys have another question or you wanna add in, I would love to look up that word and just to see exactly uh, what that word is. All right, so um, we have uh, another follow-up question on, um, yeah, we have a follow-up question from Matt uh, on the question that he had, his first question, and we are only taking one question, but this is a follow-up. Uh, what did Jesus mean by born of water and of the Spirit then? All right, well, thanks, Matt. I appreciate that. Um, so if you go back to John chapter three and you read, well, in fact, you know what? Let's go ahead and do it. We'll go to John three and we'll see that the, um, that the text really helps us to understand exactly what he means there. All right. So I'm going to bring you back up on uh, back the scriptures back up for you, and then let's take a look at this. So we are in um, we are in John chapter three, uh, and it says there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And no man can do these miracles uh, that thou dost except God be with him. I got the King James Version up instead of the New King James. Oh, well, I'll fix it later. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you and to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time? See, he's, he's got these questions about it as well. Uh, into his mother's uh, womb. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So that gives you he, the Spirit. And so the water is the amniotic fluid. The water is being born of the flesh. That's the water. And then being born of the Spirit is when you are born again. All right? And um, it's clear right there because he says, if you look at this, uh, Jesus said in verse five, you must be born of the water and spirit. Then he goes on to say, he, um, in verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that's the water, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we know that the flesh and the water are the same because he says spirit later on. So it gives clarification to what the water is. It's the flesh. So all of us were born of the flesh, we're alive and we have to be born of the spirit in order to make it into heaven. So the flesh represents the water. All right. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. I appreciate your follow-up question just to make sure that that is clear. All right. So um, we're going to go and get another question. Now, uh, if you are new here, glad to have you here. Uh, you can write a question by putting the word question or a little cue in front of your question and then write it out. And that way, as I'm making my way through um, the different uh, comments that are here, I'm able to bring them in. 
So it's good to see you guys, good to see all the comments that are there as you guys interact with one another. Uh, we have a question by Saved by Grace. And I wanna say that if you guys have a question, whatever the question is, then go ahead and write question in front of it, write out your question, then read it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense, and then we'll take a look at it, all right? So again, good to see you guys, good to see you. Saved by Grace. Um, how would you advise someone who struggles with anger issues and feels defeated all the time? Well, thank you, Saved by Grace. I wanna go ahead and answer this. I did choose this question for one that starts a future Q&A so I can do a little bit more research and spend a little bit more time on this question a little bit later on. Um, so what would you say to someone who struggles with anger issues and feels defeated all the time. I would say that you have to struggle against the anger issues. You've got to figure out why is it that you are angry? What is it that you're getting angry about? Um, the Bible says that the deeds of the flesh are outbursts of anger and that the fruit of the spirit is, is self-control. So those two fight against each other. And the Bible also says if you walk in the flesh, you will not, excuse me, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the way you battle it to start is to walk in the spirit, to say every day, I'm going to delight in God. I'm going to abide in his word. His word's going to abide in me. I'm going to walk in the spirit. And so you endeavor to walk in the spirit. And the great desire of us Christians should be that we would do what God wants us to do rather than um, what we want to do and trying to figure out ways to manipulate it to be able to do what we want to do. And so if you have real anger issues or you know someone who does and feel defeated by it all the time, then you've got to begin to walk in the spirit. And when you are angry with someone and you can apologize to them, then apologize to them. Go out of your way to say to someone, especially if they're a believer or someone you love, someone close to your children, your spouse, uh, I'm sorry. I'm really working on my anger. Would you pray for me? Because I'm really working on it and I don't want to be angry like this. And I believe that that added prayer will be helpful to you. But I also believe that if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, I would say, like the rest of us, there are certain things that we struggle with. People struggle with different things. And it's common, right? All, all temptation, excuse me, yeah. Um, all temptation is common to man but God provides a way of escape. So I would say that when you feel defeated by it, don't let Satan condemn you. Remember Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's not condemning you and the reason you feel defeated is because you're feeling condemned. Jesus died for you and I understand that repeating something over and over again can be a real problem but sometimes sanctification takes time. You work it out of your life and you get to the place where you say, I don't want it anymore. Sometimes there's an event and you just go, I'm done. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want you. I want the spirit in my life. And there have been times in my life when we're talking about outbursts of anger that I've had an outburst of anger and then just have decided, I made a promise. I am not going to live this way. I will not do that again. And by the grace of God, I was able to overcome it. And I believe that can be the case with you. But as far as feeling defeated by it, hey, ask Jesus to forgive you. If we do sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Uh, so he not only forgives us, but he cleanses us from unrighteousness, meaning he's making changes in us as well. And I think you'll see some things that work out. You don't, to, to get that anger out of your life, you don't want to just settle in to anger saved by grace. Or if you're talking about someone else, I guess, might not be talking about yourself. Uh, you might be dealing with somebody else that you know that has anger issues, right? And they feel defeated by it. But you don't want to settle into that defeated feeling and feel like, oh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You want to walk close with Christ. You want to have that right relationship with him and ask him to forgive you. Keep short accounts and walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh and know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, so thank you very much. Saved by grace, I appreciate that. Hopefully that is helpful. And um, we have another question from Shelly. Shelly says, a follow-up, all right. Uh, they're mentioned in the book of Enoch. Okay, that's what I thought, one of, uh, one of the Apocrypha. I think Enoch is listed in some of the Apocryphas, which is the ancient Hebrew Apocrypha religious text ascribed by tradition to Enoch, the great-grandfather of Noah. Yes, so thank you very much uh, for that. So she had mentioned the seven angels before and um, asked if they were them. And um, I thought that they might be from the Apocrypha. And Enoch uh, is a, a book that's not accepted as scripture, but has a lot of insight in it. And there's this battle that takes place, spiritual battle that takes place between angels. Um, it's a really interesting book. It would be all right to read it, to look at it and to read it maybe at some time. It could be good, but it's not scripture. And um, I'm gonna go back to my statement on that. The only two angels we got mentioned are Michael and Gabriel, and that's it. Thank you, Shelly, very much. I appreciate your follow-up question on, on that. It's um, good to see you guys. If you're new here, we wanna welcome you. If you wanna write out a question, then just write question in front of it and then write out your question. And that way, when I'm going through uh, the comments, I'll be able to bring your questions and bring them in. All right. Um, so yeah, let me uh, go ahead and bring in a question here from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, is there such a thing as spirit, the spirit of alcoholism? Thank you. I know getting drunk is a sin. Is there the spirit attached to that or uh, chemical imbalance. All right, so I don't know about a chemical imbalance. I do believe that there are those that self-medicate with alcohol. And I do know that they are beginning now to put implants into the brain of an addict to be able to change their mood. So it would seem and, and maybe alcohol does this after a while, it changes your mood to where you just don't, you're just not in a good mood. And you, you've got to have the alcohol to help you be in a better mood and being able to change the mood. And that's a lot of times what drugs for depression will do will help to change someone's mood. They're not depressed anymore. I'm not saying you should take them. I'm not saying you should be take, stop being taking them if you do. Um, but yeah, obviously getting drunk, right? Be filled with, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Um, could there be some demonic attack where Satan is tempting you with alcohol? Maybe. I, um, I don't know why that wouldn't be an area that Satan could tempt with. Uh, and we would call that a spirit of alcohol. 
However, remember when Jesus was dealing with the woman who was bent over and he healed her, he said she had a spirit of infirmity. I don't believe that this demon ran around making people sick. I think he was identified by what the demon was doing. It was making her sick. And so deliverance groups will often attack alcohol by casting a demon out of someone or by trying to deliver them. They got a demon hanging onto them or they got a demon making it happen. Uh, but the Bible doesn't tell us to do that. It talks about those that are out of, don't have self-control to walk in the spirit. Again, the, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And, and so even though there might be demonic forces that are, are, are involved in it, I don't think that there is a spirit of alcoholism that runs around and, and causes people to drink alcohol. I just believe the enemy attacks people in certain ways. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that was given to him by Satan and he called it an infirmity, which we get our word infirmary from, for sickness, which is sickness. And so it seems that there is some demonic, that demons are able to do certain things and maybe to tempt someone with alcohol would be one of them. So it might be right that someone would be delivered from uh, a spirit of alcohol uh, might be absolutely the right thing uh, to pray for, but we're never told to do that, okay? So in the scriptures, we're never told to pray for the spirit of alcohol to be cast out. Even Jesus, when he healed that woman in Luke chapter 12, um, just makes her stand up straight, just delivers her by speaking to her, lays hands on her. One of the rare places that Jesus does, normally he just speaks to him, stretch out your hand, get up, pick up your bed and go home. He says to the, paraly uh, the paralyzed guy. Um, so yeah, your two questions, uh, could it be a spirit of alcoholism? Maybe there's some demonic spirit that would be involved. But remember, when we sin, we're enticed. That's what James 1 says. So I've got to have that enticement first. So if I'm struggling with alcoholism, I can't say it's a demon that's making me do it. It's me and I need to repent from it and I need to turn from it. And if the enemy is seeing my weaknesses and attacking me, there may be, you know, some demonic aspect to it, but not um, the way you get rid of it is to turn from it, to walk in the spirit, to gain self-control, to say, I'm not going to do this anymore. And you may need to pray and ask God to bind the enemy. Uh, Jesus said, how do you take what is a strong man's, take from him, um, you get a stronger than the strong man to be able to take it. And Jesus is stronger than the strong man. And if you are walking in Christ, the evil one can't touch you. Um, the, um, I, I love that passage out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 that talks about them not being under the bondage of the evil one. And um, so, yeah, I think you could pray for that. And as far as the chemical imbalance goes, maybe so. I think a lot of people self-medicate. A lot of addicts self-medicate. There's some kind of a problem there and they end up self-medicating because of that. And um, that might cause us to have a little more compassion on those who are addicts. Instead of just thinking, you know, God, could they be more like me? They might have something else going on in their lives that makes them prone to be an addict. And I don't want to give excuses to those who are addicts because you need to turn from it. It's going to destroy your life. That's what addictions do. Addictions that you always think you have control of them and that they're giving you something, but in the end, they're taking something from you. All right. So thank you, um, Jari. I hope that makes sense.
I certainly am not one of those that believe that when someone's got a sin problem, you take them into a room, you pray for them to deliver them from whatever spirit there is that is attacking them. But realizing that the enemy is the tempter and he's looking for ways to get to us, he may be tempting us with things like this, and um, there may be an, um, an a, spirit, a spirit or a, a, an angel, excuse me, a demon that's attacking someone and tempting them um, with alcohol. But I don't think the reason that they're an alcoholic is because of that demon. All right, that's very important to understand. You have to repent and you have to turn from it that you can live wholeheartedly for him. Thank you, Jari, for your question. I appreciate that. Um, it's a good one and I think something that we ought to spend some time really looking at. All right, so I see you guys are talking about, um, I just kind of, I'm looking through here. You guys are talking about our authority over demonic spirits. Um, Let's see. Um, all right. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring this in. We have a question from Matthew. I'm sorry to ask this, Robert. Thanks for doing these questions. I'm curious, though. I've taken a shot as well. Do you regret it by any chance with um, all the people screaming these things against it? Um, so no, Matthew, I don't. Um, for me, I'm not afraid of COVID. I, um, and I'm not afraid of the shot. And with all the interaction that I have with people and during, right before I got the shot, I, um, I realized I'm going to run into it sooner or later. And so I thought, and my wife has asthma. I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of people. Since I'm not afraid of the shot, I might as well get it. Um, I think there's obviously some problems with them that they work for such a short amount of time. And I, I don't know all the stuff. I mean, as I said before, they've lied to us from the very beginning about COVID. They came out of the shoot line about it. And this has caused people, and they, and they, they act like because people don't trust them, they can't believe that people wouldn't trust them or wouldn't follow the science. First of all, I'm not sure they're following the science. They came out saying masks don't work, so don't take them. They could have just been honest with us. They could have just came out and said, listen, we need the masks for people working in the hospital during this pandemic. So find something else to cover up with because we think masks are effective. Uh, whether or not masks are, are effective if you're in the same room, breathing the same air with someone is questionable. And I'm talking about, these are scientific studies that talk about these things. Um, so no, I don't regret it. I realize that, you know, with booster shots, it looks like it's it's gonna end up maybe being this ongoing thing. And I don't know. Um, and I think the worst way to try to get someone to take a shot would be to mandate it, make them do it. Because they're gonna go, no, there are a lot of people that, that do this. Um, but another thing that I thought about during the time that I decided to go ahead and get my shot was that when Trump was president, both the vice president and president said, we're not taking the shot. We're not trusting Trump's shot. We're not taking it. Then when he became president, then they both went ahead and took it. And then they demand that everybody else take it. It's the same shots. And I think that had Trump won, there would be a lot of conservatives that would be taking the shot and a lot of progressives who wouldn't. I think it would be flipped. 
And just thinking that through made me think, you know what, I'm just gonna go ahead and get the shot, it's okay. Uh, if you don't wanna get it, that's up to you. Um, you, have, you have that right. A lot of people are giving up their jobs in order to not take the shot, all right? So no, don't, I'm, I'm, don't worry about asking me this question, um, Matthew. I don't mind talking about it. Um, because we do talk about it, one of the things that might happen is that the video will be held back by YouTube. And if that's the case, that's the case. I'm not worried about that. I'm, you know, sometimes that happens when you talk about um, the, the life of an unborn child. Um, there are other topics that if their machine picks up the wording on it, then they just won't share that video. And I'm not concerned about that. You know, I think that people will see this who need to see it. It's on our podcast. And um, so that's the reason that people will use different words and why I'll talk about it as a shot, just trying to get by um, their uh, um, controlling, right? They're gatekeepers. They're controlling what's said. And uh, that, that in itself might get this video just quashed by them completely. And um, if that's the case, that's all right. All right, so Matthew, I appreciate your question and I'm willing to take questions really on anything and I'm not worried about um, I'm not worried about anything like that. All right, so if you have more questions about the shot or whatever, um, don't worry about that. All right, so um, Golden Truth, it's good to see you. And I, we have a question. Um, is it imagination or does it appear far more, um, it appear that more and more people are changing? Ex-people who used to be kind seem angry, upset, and those who seem bad appear to be getting worse. Um, am I, is it imagination? Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know that I could say that I have this experience. The, I think the tensions are running high. We see people on airplanes especially, right, that have gotten out of control. There's a lot of stress taking place. So stress results itself in people being less patient and getting upset. So that might be it. But I don't know that I've had this experience with the people that I interact with. And maybe I'm not just interacting with uh, the right people, all right? But um, I don't know that I've had that particular, um, that particular problem, all right? Or, or, or recognition, all right? So, but thank you for your question. I appreciate it. Um, I, I do think, I mean, people's character is gonna get worse and worse as time goes on. In the last days, men are gonna be lovers of themselves and haters of God and, and, and arrogant and self-seeking and, and all those things, lovers of pleasure. So I think the character of men is gonna get worse and worse as time goes on. And that might be something that you're experiencing it because I think COVID has just accelerated things and we are moving faster towards the end of the world. Thank you, Golden Truth, for your question. I appreciate that. Uh, we, I will go ahead and get another, grab another question here from the comment section below. Um, we have a question from Wayne Rockin' Red Dillinger. All right, Rain, Wayne Rockin' Red Dillinger says, question concerning blessings and cursings in the Old Testament. Was there some kind of supernatural power behind them, such as when Noah cursed Ham? And why could Isaac correct the blessing and why couldn't Isaac correct the blessing 
um, with Esau. So I'm not sure why Isaac couldn't correct the blessing. I think he, it, it, by, he had already blessed Jacob. And so by blessing Esau, then he would be canceling the blessing that he had given them. So yeah, it does seem that these patriarchs during the time that time in the Old Testament, which would be very early on, right, had the ability to be able to prophesy. And they did that. Uh, you have Jacob, for example, prophesying several things when he blesses his sons. He's blessing his sons in the end of the book of Genesis, and many of them come true. Those blessings that he gives them comes true. So they seem to be something with the curse or something with the blessing um, that's there. I don't know if there's anything particular for curses, but it seems like they had the ability to be able to bless. Um, and so I do think that God was behind it just in their position as patriarchs in the very beginning, serving and, and following after um, God. And then I think that um, there was there was something that was there. Uh, all right, so thank you, Wayne. I appreciate that. Uh, I think there's power with blessing today. When we say God bless you, we end all of our I, we end all of our services with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Now I believe there's something about speaking God's name over people. There's something about blessing that has power to it when we say God bless you and really mean it. Not just saying it to say it, but actually meaning what we say when we say God bless you. So thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that, Wayne. It's good to see you. Uh, if you're new here, we want to welcome you. Uh, take time to uh, share this. Take time to write out a question. If you have a question, just put the word question down and go ahead and write out your question, then reread it a couple of times. Make sure that it is clear. And I'll go ahead and look through here now and see if I can find another question. So we have a, a question here from Golden Truth. Golden Truth says, um, don't think politics has much to do with the shot, people in Italy, Australia, etc., aren't, et aren't Dem or Republican, um, aren't taking it. I think people think this is a precursor to the mark of the beast thought or thoughts. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a precursor. Well, I don't know. I, I, it could be a precursor to the mark of the beast, right? But you're not going to take the mark of the beast by accident you got to swear allegiance to the Antichrist in order to do that. So there could be all kinds of technology that's being used today that is the mark of the beast. And if these are, um, if these are normal, then they are just being used to stop whatever, whatever it might be. And I, hey, look, there's something going on around the world. And this is really important, I think, for all of us to understand. There's some financial things happening around the world. All governments are massively in debt. And this started before COVID. We are, we are now almost $30 trillion in debt. Japan has, is, is in debt more than they've ever been. China's in debt more than they ever be, have been. This is around the world that it's happening. Um, the, the banks are around the world, like the central bank in the United States printing money. When we say printing money, um, they're adding somewhere around $90 billion a month uh, to our economy, 
which is not the money that Congress wants to spend to add in, which is an incredible amount of money. And every time that they do that, it's diluting the money that's around us. And I think it all, it all is all heading towards the mark of the beast because there's going to have to be some kind of a digital dollar. They're going to have to reset the dollar because it's, it, that's the world currency is the U.S. dollar. And it's going to have to be reset at some point because we just can't print all of this money. Well, uh, when you print 20% of money, more money in a money supply, it reduces the amount of your money by 20%. It's part of the reason for the inflation today, I believe. They talk about it being transitory or being because of COVID and things shutting down and then um, the ships being backed up and that's why there's inflation. Uh, it's far more than that, far more than that. And I think all of this is heading towards the end of the world. And I, who knows? Who knows that, that the mark of the beast might not be something along these lines. Um, I think that programmable money and some kind of a, a chip reader and chip is probably the mark of the beast and um, what stops them from being able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. So if they have programmable money, like like cryptocurrency, they're able to, to, to link it to you and then shut it off. They can give you money that you have to spend by a certain date. There's a lot of things that they're going to want to be doing with programmable money. And I'm not saying that Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency is the mark of the beast. But there's a financial crisis today and out of crisis comes radical changes. And I think the radical change that we're going to see will be around the end of the world. And the, as there's a reset of a lot of things. And um, there, there now countries are talking about a one world government. Um, there is a tax that is proposed by, there's about, a, there's about 200 um, nations in the world and 181 of them have joined together to add a corporate tax of 15%. And you got to ask, where is this corporate tax going to go to if they're going to tax corporations wherever they are around the world? It's this one world government that really is coming together. And I do think it is a precursor for the end of the world and things are happening quickly. So I wouldn't want to discount your, your question there. Is it a precursor to the mark of the beast? Because who knows, right? Who knows how all that stuff, this stuff is going to come to play. I do think it's an accelerant and we're seeing a lot of these things accelerate today. So thank you very much, Golden Truth. I do appreciate that. Well, we have another question. Um, Jari's got a question for the future here. I'm gonna go ahead and bring it in now. We'll talk about it today. Um, Jari says, uh, question future Q&A. Not so much. Um, why does Satan try to take God's throne if he knows his time is short? and probably knows the entire Bible, but takes it out of context. So <clears throat> Satan will come down knowing that his time is short. I think Satan, sin is deceptive and Satan's involved with sin. I think he believes he can win or he believes he can kick the can down the road far enough uh, that he's not gonna you know, have to deal with it. Uh, I, I, I think he's deceived that he thinks he can win. We know who's going to win, but I think he's got a plan. That's why I think that he crucified Jesus. He just hadn't, didn't put things together. He could have put all the Old Testament scriptures that talked about the suffering Messiah. He could have connected the dots and realized by, by me being involved in killing Jesus, I'm going to defeat myself. But he didn't do that, even though he knew it. And I think he does know the word of God very well, but I think that he is deceived and there's a lot of deception that is involved 
uh, in, in Satan. I think he also knows that the gospel has to be preached around the world and then the end will come. And that's one of the reasons that he fights the preaching of the gospel so much. And one of the reasons that we should maintain and keep our fight for um, and keep our battle for the gospel of Jesus Christ, getting people saved out there in the front. So thank you, Jari, for your second question. I appreciate that. And it's really good to see you guys. Um, it's been good to spend uh, this time here together with you guys today. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up now. Uh, we will have another Q&A. Actually, we're going to skip Wednesday's Q&A. We'll have another Q&A next Saturday. So uh, take time to write down whatever questions you have. Remember, we're taking hard questions. We're taking any questions uh, that you might have. But it's really good to see you guys. I hope you guys are greatly blessed. I hope there are a lot of things that God works and does uh, in your life that you would find yourself really, really close to Jesus. And we're talking about blessings. May the Lord bless you. And the word Lord there in Leviticus is the word Yahweh. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you peace. May you find yourself studying God's word, searching God's word, knowing the things that are there. It's always good to see you guys. I appreciate you. I pray for you. And I hope that God does great things in your lives. All right. So God bless you guys. I'm going to go ahead and sign off now. We will see you next Saturday.